Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're continuing now with the sixth chapter of John. And in this chapter, we're continuing on the unfolding of the of the progressive revealing of Jesus's understanding of himself as the bread of life. And there's a few things that we, we've seen much of this already because it's a long chapter and John takes great, great care in kind of um, opening up these passages and great care in leading us slowly through the questioning of the crowds into a grasping of the meaning of the bread of life, which he ends in this chapter by saying that it is his flesh for the life of the world. So let's follow where he is going now and see if we might not be able then to accompany the crowds that are around him into maybe a deeper understanding, a deeper under- appreciation of, of the Eucharist and of Jesus as the bread of life. And it begins, the Jews were now complaining to each other about Jesus because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Surely, they say, this is Jesus, son of Joseph. We know his father and mother. How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? So here then is a great crux of the faith of the early church. That we see this, we see this also in the, in the Synoptic Gospels. We see this when Jesus returns to Nazareth and the hostility with which he's encountered in Nazareth because they begin once again to announce that they are f- too familiar with him for him to be anything special. And uh, so anything more than a local boy made good is not to their liking and they have no intention of in some way, shape or form being able to move more deeply into the mystery. So they say, how can, when we know where he came, we know his parents, we know where he grew up, we've known him in his life, and now he says, I came down from heaven. So what does that mean? Well, we know if we go back to the Gospel of Luke and and, uh, we, we find out that he, in a sense, did come down from heaven through the Holy Spirit into the womb of the Virgin. And while all of us, of course, come from our mother's wombs, we do not come from a virginal mother, and we do not have not been um, conceived through the Holy Spirit. The power of God certainly comes into us at the very moment of the creation of our lives. And that human soul, that, that greater, deeper dimension of the human person, is very much a part of the creation and the handiwork of the Lord. And in a sense, in a sense, it does then come down from heaven also. So that the idea that the birth of a child is not a heavenly event, we know there are times when it can be traumatic, and we know that there are times when when there is sadness instead of joy around it. We know also that there is, in our society, an almost brutal and barbaric rejection of any kind of sense of the heavenly nature of the human child, that they have been in some way touched by God through the very act of creation, and having a soul implies that they are participants in the divine being. And yet we have those and many who carry the name Christian Catholic who would slaughter them at will, 
and see nothing about an insult to the divine in that whatsoever, nothing about the denial of the reality of God, nothing about the denial of God as creator. It, it's, it's brutal, and, and it's, a, it's a harsh and a callous and a barbaric consciousness which doesn't grapple with the harsh issues of difficult times but finds an easy, simple solution, simply deny that God is the creator and all things will be well. I think that that's kind of horrifying for us, really, and especially those among us who say that they, in some way, shape, or form, are Catholics. Um, people can call themselves whatever they want, but when we deny God as creator, we cannot really then be believing members of Jesus Christ. And especially here, when he talks about now what he's up to and what this is all about. And so he says, he said, stop complaining to each other. No one can come to me unless he is drawn by my Father who sent me, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus says, quit complaining. Um, none of you can come to me on your own power. None of you can use your God-given reason to arrive at faith in myself, he says, as the one come down from heaven, as the one who is to reveal. He is in the process of revealing as the bread of life. This is not something we can do on our own. They asked this question before. What can we do to gain this bread, this living bread? In other words, what kind of, what kind of uh, involvement do we personally have? And Jesus said the involvement you have in it is to have faith in the one who God sends. And so he says no one, no, no one can come to me on their own steam, on their own power, unless he is drawn by the Father who sent me. And that's not an sentence of exclusion. That's a sentence of inclusion, but understanding that the motivation to come to belief is a gift from God. That gift from God, and this was, this was uh, de defined in, 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 the, in the Council of, uh, of Arles, I believe, or else Orange, in the 6th century, 5th and 6th century, that the initiative of faith is always a gift. It is never something we earn, never something we create, never something we choose for ourselves. It is a universal gift that God gives to all people in order to enable them to begin this long and arduous search for the truth, for the person of God among us. And so he says that you can't do it on your own any more than you can get, make the bread of life, um, you know, find that on your own. You, you can't because you have to be drawn to that by the Father. You have to be drawn to that by faith. In a strange sort of way, it's the same question that the woman at the well asked Jesus. You know, well, you know, Lord, where can I find this living water? And so, and Jesus says, and those then who do seek me, those who have been given that gift of faith by the Father, I will raise him up on the last day. And then he goes on to say, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. And to hear the teaching of the Father and to learn from it is to come to me. That God is the initiator of faith, that God is the source of all truth and all knowledge and all wisdom. That all human knowledge, true knowledge, true wisdom, is in some way a participation in the divine being. And that, the, uh, and that in so doing, 
that they will then discover Jesus Christ, an authentic pursuit of knowledge and wisdom, he says, ultimately ends up in the acceptance of Jesus Christ. Not all knowledge gets to that point, not all knowledge takes us there, but it takes us closer to that. And I think that we find great examples of this in some of the contemporary scientific investigations that we have. I think especially of some of the some of the the, the theories and and the propositions of quantum physics as it moves into kind of senses of universal consciousness and universal kind of reflectiveness of being and the particles of being and all of those kinds of things as it relates to light to particles and all of those things at what happens then is the human mind as it progresses And this is where the fallacy that somehow or other there's this kind of dichotomy between faith and and, and science. Because the more science develops, the more the possibility of belief becomes a scientific project. Now, in the early days of contemporary science, especially in the science um, developed by Isaac Newton and Descartes and so forth, that it is all a mechanical operation. Science is a mechanical operation where you do this and this happens, you do this and this happens, you drop a ball, it falls, and so on and so forth. Um, so that's, that's elementary. That's very elementary science. And what they find out as they move forward is that mechanistic understanding of it, even that is in many ways flawed and inadequate to express and to understand what actually happens. As science progressed and it moved more and more, and this was part of the problem with with, uh, Galileo. I think we've we've talked about this before, but, but Galileo was not really a very reputable human being. He stole, he plagiarized information from the Jesuits at the Roman College using their telescope. And so they saw what he saw, they knew what he, he knew, and they were beginning to understand that the horizons of science and the horizons of faith could very much be complementary and compatible. But Galileo did not want to wait for the reflection, and so Galileo simply exploited the knowledge that he had of himself and that he had plagiarized from others, and uh, and goes down now in history as the great martyr of a scientist to the intolerant Catholic faith, all of which is bogus understanding, and any true historian knows exactly how bogus that is. It's much more complicated than that. Was was. You know, was everything done absolutely correctly, everything rightly? Of course not, because human beings were grappling with it. But the fact of the matter is, it was opening up horizons of possibility. And that continues to happen even today, opening up the horizons of possibility, where faith and and the human mind are, are able to merge in certain depths of understanding and possibilities. This is a very important thing that happens. And when we go back to the gospel we hear is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. And to hear the teachings of the Father and to learn from it is to come to me. This was a very strong early medieval proposition that all knowledge ultimately led to Jesus Christ. It still remains kind of a substructure of almost all theological reflection and all basically wide-open scientific investigation. For there is at the heart of every scientific scientific um, um, 
theory and a discovery. There is behind it some kind of mysteriousness that draws the scientist forward. And so now into quantum physics, it becomes even more mysterious, but beginning to emerge from it are elements of consciousness and elements of oneness and unity and so forth. So all of these things um, kind of weave into this mysterious revelation that Jesus Christ is making. The easiest way to do it is to, in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, come to some kind of sense and appreciation of the Father. But but all of that is a long, long process in the human story. And it is ill will that creates a division, a fragmentation of knowledge. It is pride which creates a fragmentation of knowledge. Because I want to be an expert in my tiny little sphere of knowledge. And to do so, I have to think that it stands alone, that it's unique. And so intellectual pride is something that comes hand in hand with the fragmentation of knowledge, the fragmentation of learning. For fragmenting means broken pieces of the whole. And we live with this fragmentation. Um, the scientist David Bohm said that's one of the greatest banes of contemporary capacity to learn and to know is, uh, is the fragmentation of knowledge, not realizing what we break down in order that we might understand it within the realm of our own mind is really a part of a greater whole. And that part of the greater whole, if all the fragments, when all the pieces are responsibly put together, begins to merge and to open up horizons of understanding. I've overused that word horizons, but but I don't know any other word to use for that. The possibility of something vast beyond what we know and where we are. Those are the things that have grown concomitantly with our understanding of a real theological understanding of our faith and and a, a real understanding of the mystery of the natural sciences and of cosmology of all the things that surround we we you know you see these signs we believe that science and blah blah well science never claims never responsible science never claims to in any way shape or form have an absolute truth behind it. They know that in the most theoretical parts of their discipline, there is, in fact, there is an unknown reality. There is, and so what they arrive at is the highest degree of certitude in real science is probability. And so in the dealings with probability, probability is formed and shaped by discovery, formed and shaped by possibility, formed and shaped by the various approaches of the human mind to the understanding of the phenomenon of existence. So, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. That means the initiative of faith will come from him, but also the capacity of the human mind to move beyond itself and to beyond the, beyond the perceptible and beyond the existential. That will be taught by the Father. And those who learn from it eventually will move toward in the direction of Jesus Christ. Then he says, not that anybody has seen the Father except the one who comes from the Father. No one has seen the Father. In other words, this possibility that you seek, 
you cannot find. You only find it through the one whom he has sent. And this becomes kind of foundational to the whole contemporary Logos theology of Joseph Ratzinger, that we cannot know being itself. We can only know what being reveals of itself to us. So what we know of being, we know only through Logos, only through the Word, only through Jesus Christ. There is no rational science that can bypass Jesus Christ and in any way, shape, or form find, find that which lies beyond, that which is being itself or the Father. So, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who comes from the Father. So I'm the witness, so come through me. I tell you most solemnly, everybody who believes has eternal life. And so everyone who believes, who augments their knowledge with faith and is carried further and further into the mystery of existence itself, the mystery of being itself, that is the road to eternity. And then he says to them, once he's done that, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Your fathers ate the man in the desert, and they are dead. Those who invest themselves only in the present have no future. The, uh, but I am the bread that comes down from heaven so that a man may eat it and not die. If, in fact, we have not dead-ended into our own momentary existence in absoluteness and in conviction, but remain open to possibilities beyond what we know, what we understand, what we experience, then we are in the process of not dying in eternity. And, and Jesus says, how do we do this? And this is interesting. They, they, they eat the bread that comes down from heaven. So what does that have to do? How does that, you know, move us along this very peculiar trajectory toward the vast horizons of eternity? And Jesus says, anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. The way, therefore, to move beyond the confines of the immediate, the existential, the historical moment is to move forward in and with and through the person of Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We do that by eating his flesh. And he is going to say later on in this gospel, we will not have an opportunity to do that in this liturgical cycle, but he is going to say further on that anyone who does, who do, who does eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life. And if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink, you will not have life in you. Jesus is identifying him now as a source of life. This is consistent with the prologue of John's Gospel, when everything that came to be came through him. So he is the source, he is the origin of everything that is. If we therefore move into the mystery of our origin, we move into the mystery of that origin's destiny as well. And the origin's destiny is eternal life. 
so that there is the great question in some of the uh, some of the 19th century theological uh, explorations and so forth you know is Jesus predestined well yes Jesus is predestined because he is predestination itself because he is the one who came forth from the father to return to the father and then Elizabeth of the Trinity gives us an insight of what that means for us she says what that means for us is that anyone who is in Christ anyone who is united to the person of Christ anyone who has the flesh and the blood of of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing in their veins is a member of Jesus Christ's body and that where he is we also shall go I I I don't I I don't mean to uh, to sound circular in all of this but it's hard to express. Jesus expresses it very clearly. For us to take that out and try to reconfigure it into our own minds and stuff becomes difficult for us because we don't have some of these Semitic concepts that he's using here. We don't really understand that an ancestor lives in a disciple because of the blood of that ancestor that flows in their veins. We, we, we can come close to that. We can, I mean, what is the popularity, you know, of, of Ancestry.com and all this kind of stuff? Those quests for ancestors are often really a, a, a hidden quest for the self that we believe we will find in those who have come before us of whom we are genetic heirs so that it really isn't as far from our way of understanding as we might think it is. But it was very much more on the surface with, with uh, the Hebrew way of understanding. For them, it was very simple. If I'm a descendant of Abraham, Abraham's blood flows in my veins. I am therefore a child of Abraham. Abraham is in me, with me. Abraham is in and with the community. And the Jerome Bible, biblical commentary, can say Abraham is Israel. Israel is Abraham. Not only through faith, but through blood. And that's the, that's the context that Jesus is using in this particular. How do we take, without becoming genetically descended from Jesus, how does Jesus exist within us in, in an existential sort of sense, in a way that his blood and his flesh is part of who we are as persons? The only, the only avenue for that, for him to express that, is in the fact of taking it into our bodies in the form of food. And that's where the bread of life comes from. It's telling us that what Abraham gave genetically, Jesus gives through our taking it in ourselves once we have come to believe, once we have come to believe through faith. So that it's uniting humanity into the source, into the source of its being. It is uniting humanity into the person of Christ, and in uniting the humanity into the person of Christ, humanity then travels with Christ into eternal life as part of him and he part of us. This is not the dissolving into the great, into the great uh, primordial um, sea as it is in, in Buddhism and in Hinduism, into Brahman. Um, that is, that is, that's not what it means. We don't lose our individuality. You do not, if you love someone intensely, intensely, you do not lose who you are, but who you are becomes fulfilled in that love and you become more of yourself than you ever were before. And and I think, you know, we see that this is part of the this is part of the the theory of the stigmata of Saint Francis, that um, Jesus simply became one with him and he one with Jesus. That did not make Francis less 
of the witness that he was, less of the father of his brothers. It made him less of nothing and more of everything. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this. It's, it's, so, it's so hard for us um, because in some ways we, we lack the conceptual framework for it, but we have to be able to interpret it in such a way that we, we understand. We have scientific ways of other people living inside of us in this day and age, by the way, too. We have organ transplant. We have gene therapy. We have all this kind of stuff. Um, and we, we see it as kind of helping us, building us up to be more, more fruitful living beings. But on the other hand, we, we do it because there are others who are participating in our life um, genetically and biologically and all this kind of thing. So the idea of, and, and, and we have also some of the ancient rituals, for instance, the, the ancient um, Native Americans and the whole idea of, of how, do you become, how do you become brothers when you, when, when you are not of the same parents. You know, you cut your veins and, and bind your arms together so that each other's blood flows in the blood of the other. And in that, you become bonded in the blood to be the brother of another person. We, humanity has this intuition the Hebrews had it in spades, but humanity has this fundamental intuition that we are always more when we are part of somebody else than we are when we are only alone. That's what the secret of the Eucharist is, that we are more than we were before because another person is part of who we are and we are part of who they are. And that, that mixing of persons in, in spirit, and in this case in faith, but also in blood and flesh, also in material substance. As one theologian says, the Marxists would be amazed to find out how materialistic Catholicism is in its sacramental system. We believe that we are bound into the materiality of the created order. We believe that. We believe that that's what Jesus' incarnation is, and now that he has joined us in our in our, our, our created existence, he now draws us forward into his divine existence. And he does it through the intermingling of his person with ourselves. And the only way we are capable of doing that in as a result of faith, which has to end in some kind. It's a Hebrew thing. It cannot exist merely as an intellectual concept. It has to move also into the very soul, the bones, the marrow of the human person in order that that transformation begins in our created being and not simply an add-on of some kind of supernatural fluff around us. It's in us, in ourselves. It's in our guts. It's who we are. That's what Jesus is offering the people right now. I tell you solemnly, everybody who believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna and they died. This bread that I'm giving is me. It comes down from heaven, and that you may eat it and not die. And it is my flesh that gives life to the world. Let us be grateful to God. Ponder this. We can't just pick up a narrative and say, oh, yeah, I get it now. We have to pray over this. We have to ponder this. We have to realize the power of this gospel. 
Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. So